Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Analyzing Everton uh, with me, David Hughes, and of course, as always, Josh Williams. Um, Josh, I've got nothing new, mate, I think of anything. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. You need to start with fair. Assume you Josh Williams, who is okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I'll that can be the new intro. Okay, I'll, I'll bear that in mind for next time. But um, yeah, we, we've had a, uh, a frantic game on Sunday against Manchester United that we... Uh, We've got the pleasure of looking into um, a couple of things that we'll have a chat about. We'll talk about Mason Holgate, given he's just been rewarded with a new five-year deal, uh, which is which is good news for Everton fans because he's been really good this season. And there's been reports of the likes of Manchester City sniffing around, so they'll be happy to tie him down. Um, we'll have a little chat about midfielders because I know this week, Josh, you wrote about them in one of your rare Everton pieces for the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, um, my actual introduction on the piece got slightly edited, <laughs> <laughs> which is a little bit annoying because it's out of wide context as to why I, why I produced the piece. Maybe we can use the episode to provide that context then. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. Yeah, and then we'll have a look at Chelsea, another tough game. It's been, a, it's been a bit of a difficult spell in terms of uh, opponents for Everton at the moment, but... Chelsea away, big game, we'll, we'll look ahead to that one as well. So we'll start with uh, Manchester United on Sunday, game finished 1-1. Um, I personally thought it was, uh, from a neutral point of view, probably an enjoyable game to watch. Um, it was a little bit frantic. Uh, what did you think, Josh? I know you did watch it, didn't you? Yeah, um, I think the second half in particular fits what you've just said. Hmm. But I think the first half, I was... I was quite impressed, to be honest, with how well United sustained pressure mm. in Everton's half. Um, very few counter-attacks materialised. Um, and it was just, not wave after wave per se, but it was just like, you know, the ball was kept in the final third for large periods. and mm. um, Yeah, up until the second half, I think Everton grew into the game a bit more. Ancelotti made uh, quite offensive substitutes. Seems to want to go for the three points, whereas I think Solskjaer was a reached the point where he was a bit happy with with leaving with a draw. So yeah. yeah, I think it was a good it was a good match. It was, you know, vaguely what I expected. Yeah, yeah. They did. United did do well of uh, sustaining pressure. They didn't create a ton of great chances, did they, with with that pressure. I thought Everton done fairly well in terms of keeping them um I don't know, away from the goal in terms of threat. Um <coughs> but yeah, on the game actually finished. Um with Everton winning the XG, I've got it as 2.1 to um, 1.13. Uh, Everton had 16 shots, 5 on target versus United's 14, 5 on target. But obviously, as you can work out with the, the much better XG, um, Everton's shot map was much better. They tend to t- t- take some shots in decent areas. Um, yeah, yeah, just looking at Everton's shot map now. 
Uh, well, the shots that he faced, at least. And uh, beyond the, the laser Gallo shots, they're all basically... I wouldn't even label them as half chances, really. Yeah. They're just kind of like shots worth about 7% or something like that. Um, and funnily enough, I'm sure we'll get to it, but United actually scored from the furthest shots out that they took. Oh, we will get to that one, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, got, I think last time I checked, the Gallo accounted for around half of United's XG, which, um, you know, Pickford pulls off a good save. Maybe you could argue Gallo should score, but... Um, We'll give Pickford the benefit of the doubt on this one because he'll need it later. Um, so, yeah, on the whole, I thought Everton probably did enough to win the game. And, of course, this is all disregarding that um, pandemonium, really, at the end where they, they thought they'd won it, only for it to be ruled out via uh, VAR. What Now, we don't really discuss these things. We don't tend to focus on these decisions on referees and... Um, we just try to avoid that side because you can get that everywhere and that, that's not what this podcast is meant to be about. But just very briefly, Josh, what were your thoughts on, on that, on the VAR decision? I thought it was very frustrating for me. Um, I lost out on six fantasy points. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, beyond that, yeah. I think I think according to the rules, if, you, if you're employing the rule book strictly, then I think he is offside. Mm. But... My frustration lies with, regardless of whether Sigurdsson's there or not, the ball finds a net. Mm. Um, De Gea is not saving that regardless. So De Gea's been bailed out by a player who he's stating is influ- Im- impacting the um, the flow of the match, I suppose, when he, he isn't. Really. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's one of them frustrating calls. Uh, it felt to me like it was a get out of jail card almost for them uh, yeah definitely where they knew they were beaten they just managed to find a technicality and, and get away with it um, really frustrating but uh, that's how it is have you got any um, grievances with Sigurdsson sitting on the floor for a bit too long or sort of few people giving a bit of grief for that no because I actually I think there's an argument to say he could have been awarded a penalty you know if you if you look in the build up to that he, he gets a shot off on goal and Wan-Bissaka basically comes in, makes no contact with the ball and takes the play out um, and nothing's awarded. And everything that, that followed after that was all within the space of a few seconds. So I, I can't really be critical um, because how was he going to foresee what, what was about to happen? Yeah, it's weird how penalties seem to get overlooked with situations like that. There was a, there was a game of the week, I can't remember who it was, but it was City against someone and the ball's in the air it gets headed by the attacking player, so the ball goes, but Edison continues where he's going and punches the player <laughs> square in the face. Doesn't even get booked, yeah. doesn't even, didn't even get VAR reviewed, nothing. But it's because the ball's gone, the shot's been taken. So what if the shot's been yeah, taken? Yeah, exactly. The player's just been taken out. Yeah, that's a, that is a foul. It's a foul on the pitch. So it, you know, yeah, It's daft. It's weird, the rules sometimes. I agree. Uh, I think Everton were really unfortunate not to at least get a penalty there. If they were going to review that whole sequence of play... Then maybe the, if the if they were to say you know we're gonna re- we're gonna award us offside, then they should take it back one one step further than, and and award the penalty. Um, but they didn't. Frustratingly, um, so game finishes one one. Evans' goal come through. Really good work from Calvert Lewin. Not going to focus too much on Calvert Lewin because we have a couple times now, but just uh, it's it just shows that it, it is worth kind of pressuring keepers in those moments just because I'd probably put. 
David De Gea is one of the ones who isn't the best with his feet. So um, it's it, it came really thanks to good work from Calvert-Lewin off the ball. A little bit frustrating to then concede the goal that they did. Um, and I suppose this goal, this goal is twofold. Um, and I'll start with how it comes about, which is um, Everton playing out from the back. I, I, I wrote about it this weekend. There's a small uh, thread on my Twitter, at the Hughes underscore, if you want to check it out. Because um, I noticed Everton have adapted the goal kicks a little bit um, in terms of how they're playing out. But it was a huge talking point because obviously Everton lost possession and conceded from, well, early on from a goal kick. Um, I've got thoughts on this, Josh, before I do. Is there anything you want to just add in general about, you know, playing the ball out from goal kicks as opposed to going long? Because everybody around me in the ground was huffing and moaning and shouting, just go long, play it long, play <laughs> it long. No, the way they do. And, mm. But there is a there is a reason why... St- Teams do it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I've, I haven't got the numbers to hand, of course, yeah. But I do think that generally, um, on the whole, teams tend to progress into the opposition half and final third by playing out more so than they do just by hoofing it long. Mm. Um, I think the ball is secured more frequently yeah. playing along the floor as opposed to hitting long. Yeah. Um. But I think that I think a lot of the problem from a fan perception is in terms of shouting, hit it long, and things like that. A lot of people will just watch match of the day, and the highlights on match of the day will be big moments. Obviously, mm-hmm. so if a keeper gives the ball away in his own defensive third mm-hmm. and you can see it from it, it's massive. Mm-hmm. But the times they play out and build some decent moves probably won't be shown. Yeah, um, I agree because that's so just considered quite mundane, isn't it? But yeah, but I think it's it's obviously just a case of risk. Versus reward, yeah. um, and I think week to week, depending on the opposing team you're facing, that risk and reward may outweigh. Do you know what I mean? Things yeah, like that. yeah. Like say for example, if you're playing Liverpool, maybe you hit a bit longer, more frequently. Mm. Whereas if you're playing even Manchester City, to be honest, you know that if you do break City's press, you're probably going to generate a chance. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it's worth doing against yeah. a team like that. So. Yeah, there doesn't need to be a set philosophy, does there? Because then that becomes predictable and easy to set up and play against. But uh, look, on the whole, it's playing out this way. It's it's all about control. There was a really good interview with I think it was in the Independent. You might have seen it, Josh, with Brendan Rodgers' assistant now at Leicester, uh, Chris Davies. Uh, it was a foreign analysis. Um, and he talks about how transitions are the most important important part of the game now. Um, I think Ancelotti actually said something similar as well recently. Um, I just think if you go long, you know you've. It's a gamble whether you win the initial first aerial duel, but then there's so many other factors can impact where the, the second ball goes and who it lands to that you're leaving a lot of it to chance, and it's quite easy for you to decide to sweep up possession whilst you're still fairly unorganised and due to the quality of these players they can quickly um you know break and form an attacking each where it feels as though when you when you've got possession from the goal kick you can build in a more controlled manner and you can you can break the lines a lot better. Um I think it makes sense to do uh, on the whole and, and things like that. I think it's it's generally a positive thing if you've got the players that can actually execute it. But it, I think a, an element of 
being a bit streetwise has to come into it. Like some players are just so committed to building from the back that they'll just play themselves into a stupid situation or things like mm. that. Sometimes I think it's okay to just if you're not comfortable, if you can't physically play out without losing the ball, without sounding very this is England, get rid. Yeah, no, I mean? yeah. Look, and I said there's, there is no set way, um, but I definitely don't think it needs to just be why why are we always messing out with the, the back. Just just get it long. It, it, look, it needs to be smarter than that, and especially since the new goal kick uh, rule came in, the same pretty much favours teams in possession. You know, defenders can now drop short as receive the ball, meaning that the sides without have to pre- press, you know, an extra five or ten yards, usually hovering around the edge of the 18-yard box. Um, and this stretches the this stretches a defensive side. Now the it creates more spaces in the middle. So if you have an accurate ball-playing defender, such as Holgate in Evans' case, then you can pretty much progress the ball through the lines in a more controlled way. And that's why we'll we'll be seeing Everton doing it more. But as you say, Josh, it doesn't need to go like that every single time. Um, but on the, I just think Everton fans need to have a little bit more patience with it. I understand, moving on slightly, that it led to the goal that he conceded. But for me, I think Jordan Pickford, again, should do better. Becoming a vacating theme, isn't it? Yeah. I've tried to avoid talking about him recently on the show, but... You know, you you mentioned it then. The the XG on that shot was zero point zero two, and yet okay, Everton lose it in a bad position. But from where he hits the shot and where it goes in the goal, I think a keeper performing at a competent level saves that. Yeah, I do as well. He's, um, I think I said last week actually after the Arsenal game. Did I? Did I? When Aubameyang was through. And yeah, I, yeah, in my yeah. head, it was already in the net. Yeah, he's just a type of keeper to not to not do your favors. He he doesn't get you out of stick if you like. Mm-hmm. And um, this was another one of those moments. But for me, it's not even getting you out of stick. This one, this is just an expected save. Almost yeah. for me, I think a lot of keepers save this. I agree. He's just an an, an unreliable keeper for me. A, a bit of a loose cannon. I've always just, I've always seen him that way. And he he I must be honest, he'd, he'd do my head in if he if he was. The goalkeeper for my club. Yeah, yeah, he's. Uh, I just find him so inconsistent. Like, you know, people will, people who defend him will probably reference Agallo's save, and this isn't um, this isn't me picking and choosing what to say in terms of um, in terms of fitting my narrative, but it you know it shouldn't be a case of you having to pull off a save like that to make up for errors elsewhere, which seems to be the case with him at the moment. Um, and I'm just, I was looking at Henderson for Sheffield United um, for a piece I was working on recently uh, for MEN, uh, United's Focus. And Henderson just looks a really exciting talent. He, you know, he's he's overperforming in a lot of metrics. I know you, you're not his biggest fan, are you? Henderson? Yeah. No, I don't think he's good. Oh, I thought you, I, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't remember if you, you had a thing with his, the way he can, he can be sometimes quite a, a, erratic in terms of personality. No, I did. I, I did read that he was um, quite a cocky character, should we oh, say? Okay. Um, yeah. But I think we painted. I think we also spoke that, like you know, that can come into positives as well because Wilder can, Chris Wilder can obviously openly criticise him and, and he'll take it sort of thing. Yeah. He's, not, he's obviously not a weak character, but 
No, I've got nothing against him as a talent. Yeah, fair. Well, he's, uh, he, is, he, he does look to be a talent. He's, he's probably one of the... He was maybe the top-performing goalkeeper in the Championship. He stepped up to the Premier League effortlessly. Um, and he's an English goalkeeper. And yeah, Pickford seems to be using a lot of excuses about he's English, uh, playing for the national team, and that's why everyone's gunning for him. I don't think it is. I just think he's underperforming and people are seeing it. Um, and definitely underperforming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we did that piece on him, didn't we, a few weeks ago where we highlighted where he was underperformers. Off the top of my head, he was about fourth bottom in terms of save percentage of uh, Premier League goalkeepers. Uh, have you checked that recently? I haven't now, actually. He's second bottom. Oh, second bottom now? Yeah. Who's the only player he's better than in terms of save percentage is Kepa. Hmm. And Kepa's atrocious. Yeah, terrible. There you go. That that says a lot. Um, he's he's. I'm right in saying he's not performing well against his uh, expected goals against either, is he? No, I think I think I checked that the other day. I think he's conceded about eight or nine more than he should have, or something like that. Yeah, maybe I, maybe that's a, maybe it's a bit less than that. I'm not sure, but at very least, you just want to keep it to at least perform in line with it. As I said, he's not and. It, it, he tends to have as little as 3.8 shots on target to save per match, um, which isn't isn't that many. No. Um, but when he does save, when he does make a save, he seems to feel a need to scream at his entire <laughs> team, as as in like you know, why are you making me save a shot? Yeah. Firstly, it's a job, mm. and B, you know, you're not having to do it particularly often, and when you are having to do it. You're not really making much of a difference. He tends to concede, based on what I just checked before, he, he concedes roughly every 2.5 shots on target. So every 2.5 every shots that he faces, he will concede a goal for that. And as you said, that is not a lot of... I mean, that's pretty standard for any side, really, isn't it? I mean, in terms of conceding that many shots. like you, yeah. You're conceding a lot more than that, so you want your keeper to have a better performance level. Um, and... Look, we knew on the silver level intended to concede uh, big chances or, you know, clear-cut chances. I haven't checked it under Ancelotti um, in terms of the XG per shot. But you still you still want to see pick for performing at, at, at a better level than that. So, yeah, again, really frustrating. Um, I, if it was me personally, I'd be looking at him in the summer. I'd be looking to try and replace him. But The only thing with that, and I think we spoke about this a while ago, is Everton have plenty of, of areas in the squad that you'd probably look to invest in, don't they? So that was just what I was about to say. Although then, he's yeah. clearly a problem, mm. how important do you deem that over the over the areas that say you don't even have options in? Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, no. That was literally what I was about to say was he gets saved by the fact that there's more pressing issues at Everton in terms of recruitment at the moment. Um, yeah. I and think I think to, to sign someone for him that would be obviously a replacement. Hmm. Whereas some other areas of the, uh, of the squad, you don't even need replacements. You just need players. Like hmm. you just need numbers, sort of thing. Yeah, starting players. <coughs> yeah. So we um, and look, you know, he, he may stay beyond the summer and turn it around and go on to be the keeper that people would expect, and we don't know yet. But I, uh, I think the keeper is one of the most important positions on the pitch, and you want to have someone you can trust there if you want to have a good side. Um, well, I'll say on that. I think the keeper is one of the most important positions on the pitch for results. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think the coach is responsible, and we'll get to this regarding Chelsea, because this mm. is my thoughts on Chelsea as well. The coach can only get so much out of a team in terms of performance levels. Mm. 
But if a goalkeeper is below standard, if a goalkeeper is letting in shots he shouldn't, your results are going to suffer despite playing well for the large majority. Yeah. Um, and as I said, we'll, I'll be able to elaborate on that a little bit more with Chelsea. Yeah, just to reiterate. Oh, look at that. Um, <laughs> so there's a guy, um, I don't know if he listens. No, he probably probably won't, but maybe he will, actually. It's his, it's his vibe, shall we say. But Matt Cheatham on, on Twitter. I remember he replied to one of my articles not so long ago about Pickford. I'm sure he said something along the lines of, on average, a goal conceded tends to cost you a point within the Premier League. On average. Mm. So if you... Um, if you think about that, if you're conceding 10 more goals than you should have based on the quality chances you've faced, then that's arguably you've, you've um, lost out on 10 more points so far this season, which isn't good, is it? No. Um, I've just noticed seventh goal Pickford has conceded from outside the box this season. No keepers let in more. Yeah. Mm. That was Matt Cheatham's uh, stat, by the way. So, uh, yeah, pretty pretty damning. But we'll go from a negative to a positive, and that was um, the performance or consistent performance levels of a never-aging Leighton Baines. Um, 35 years old he is now, but he, he still continues to perform at a really good level. Um, he would, that, His flank was was by far Everton's most dangerous against United. Uh, 22 of their attacks came down the left. That was, um, there was only nine that come down the right. Um, he had two shot assists, so that's an assist that leads to a shot on goal, plus <laughs> one key pass. Now we've, uh, me and Josh have had a bit of a laugh about the, the key passes. The provider we use, the term, the key passes, uh, a good attacking pass that doesn't lead to a shot or assist, which is ridiculous. <laughs> and I'd never normally used this metric, but the reason I'm pointing out is just, you know, two shot assists plus one of these key passes. It shows he was still a, a pretty strong creative um, creative threat for Everton. And you have to admire his longevity to still kind of be doing that now at this age. Yeah, I remember seeing that tweet a couple of months ago. And I think it said, uh, who do you think is the best player of the decade that hasn't played for a top six club in the Premier League. Mm. Uh, and I actually said Baines alongside this guy, actually. Yeah. They were my two players. Um, good shout to them. I think he's just... Uh, he's almost like an early version of, I suppose, what Trent Alexander-Arnold's doing now mm. for Liverpool. He mm. was doing that years ago, wasn't he, yeah, really? Yeah, To an extent, at least. Um and are you are you aware at all of what his what his influence is like his his personality in the dressing room and things like that? Because <coughs> I'm not. So, <coughs> I um, I always imagined him to be very quiet because he seems like a reserved character on the pitch. But I'm led to believe he's he's quite the opposite, and he's um, he's he's a big character in there. And I think he had, especially when Jagi Elk was there. I believe those two were. With like the real jokers in the dressing room. Mm. Um, I don't know what he's like now. This was a couple of seasons ago, but yeah, he's he's meant to be a huge character, um, which is which is something that you need. You know, he's he's been at the club for uh, oh, ten years now. I'm sure ten years, and it, it, 
th- those are kind of players you need them in the dressing room um, just to bring everything that you you know the stuff that you can't really quantify in terms of like numbers just you know the the, the leadership characteristics or the um, just the general know how or having been there and done it and yeah and the, I suppose the reason I bring him up because he's he, his contract expires in the summer and despite his age I wonder whether he, he deserves a an extension. Yeah, no, I, I I would probably look at it myself in this. I've not got a serious replacement lined up, mm. or or unless he's asking for an astronomical wage, um, which he won't be. Let's be honest. But I do think that you know the the concept of of what a dressing room environment is is is, is real. Mm. I think um, people that are into stats and analysis tend to overlook that that aspect of the game, but. I do think it plays a part, and you know, just in terms of how professional players, the standards he's willing to set, um, how willing to perform he is whenever he's called upon, despite sitting on the bench most weeks. Yeah, well, that's um, what's really impressed me because Luca Dean seems to. I like Dean, but he seems to be developing a bit of a record of picking up muscle injuries a lot over the past few months. It's something that maybe Everton needs to keep an eye on because. I've said before, an underrated aspect of any player is the ability to stay fit. And when you start getting someone who's quite injury prone, that's alarm bells for me. But just on your point, it does mean that he's been getting called upon a lot more. Um, and he has been coming in and kind of seamlessly s- slipping in there and not, you know, not causing any big issues in defence, which we know from another show we did earlier that when when you got those players who can't, who comes in and disrupts things a little bit, can be detrimental to the team. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's a, he seems to be a lot more mobile mm. than a 35-year-old should be. Yeah. Um, and he obviously offers a fair amount from set-pieces as well, so, you know, he's the type of player that, providing his expectations aren't too too crazy regarding his wage and things mm. and how many years he actually will sign for, he's a player that I'd certainly be looking to give maybe another year to. Yeah, yeah, fair. Um, but just quickly concluding before we move on to United... Uh, Again, I think it's... Uh, no, no, before uh, concluding away from United. Sorry, oh, I should have clarified there. <laughs> yeah, before we move away from United, um, I think it was pleasing to take on another top side. And United are in really good form as well. You know, United have been a little bit up and down this season, but when, when Everton faced them on Sunday, they're, they're probably playing the best football they played. Me and you have both been... Wax and lyrical about Bruno Fernandes. I was just going to say then, to be honest, we, yeah. we mentioned him last week, didn't you? And I was impressed by him. Yeah, I thought he's. Uh, he, you can clearly see why he's that output player according to the data because he's involved in everything. Yeah, he tries all kinds. The amount of three passes he played that I thought to myself, most players wouldn't even see that. Yeah, yeah, he's, Top player. Uh, he's the real deal. And um, with him in the side, that means you're facing a much tougher United side. But as I said, Everton will unlucky not to win it. Uh, due to what happened at the end, the um, they created the better chances, and it's it's a good sign for things to come. Um, yeah, so we were talking about Baines there coming to the end of his career. We'll touch on a player who's a lot earlier into his career, who's just been tied down on a five-year contract, and that's obviously Mason Holgate. Um, you're a fan, aren't you, Holgate? And you probably, like everyone else, maybe wasn't at the start of the season. No, he has a... He's went up in my estimations, yeah. Uh, he's he seems a lot more well rounded now than he than he was before. Mm. I think he's filled out physically. He's quicker than I was aware, mm. better on the ball than I was aware as well. Um 
and he's obviously English and homegrown as well. How yeah. old is he now? Twenty-three. Twenty-three centre back, you know, competence on the ball and things like that. So I think he's a type of player that you well, Everton obviously have. They've, they've tied him down for a number of years, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's strange when at the start of the season, it, it, uh, people were concerned about relying on Holgate because. You know, he, he spent the season at West Brom. He played right back. It, the, the years before, he, he'd be in and out of the side, and he didn't look that great. And be honest, he put together a few good performances, but wouldn't really back them up. Um, in terms of being able to solidify himself in the side, but this year he has he's been fantastic, and he just, I think he, uh, you touched on a little bit of this just then. He's you know he's so calm and composed on the ball. He's probably a people talk about Mina, but I like Holgate best as our ball playing centre back. Um, both of them can do a job, but I just like him a little bit better. Um, he's got past success rate eighty seven percent so far this season, which is decent. You'll find better in the league, but where you'll find better is at those sides who tend to dominate the ball quite a lot, uh, have the best possession stats, and that's because. Um, these defenders are presented with more passing options when on the ball, whereas this isn't always the case with Everton. We know they're a lot more varied in their build-up play. Um, so I think 87% is pretty impressive. Um, he's got the ninth-highest progressive run average of the 66 centre-backs who've played over a 1,000 minutes in the Premier League this season. And if you watch him, he is pretty equipped in terms of you know picking up the ball, carrying the ball out, and... Yeah, I, th- I think players that generally post good numbers in terms of progressive runs, they, they tend to be quite dynamic players, don't they? Mm. Like Naby Keita does it, Jack Eaglish does it, mm. Ben Chilwell I think is another, Philippe Anderson, Eden Hazard used to. Players that just, without necessarily dribbling past a player, you just, you, you're com- confident enough on the ball to carry it forwards into space and yeah. that sort of thing. It's good, through, it's good for breaking through, um, like, sides who are sitting in, you know, low mid blocks as well isn't it because if there's not many passing options that disrupts their structure when a player is happy to just take the ball on meaning that someone's going to have to come and close them down yeah exactly that creates, creates a free man yeah yeah um, it's funny that you know the players you were listing there a lot of them midfielders because obviously at Old Trafford this season don't you, you remember he uh, he got put in midfield and he ended up getting man of the match and yeah looked, I remember that yeah. yeah he looked really good there um, and obviously he played right back as we touched on for West Brom. I just wonder maybe if he's if he's got credentials to move in there one day, or if it's a case of having such a versatile play that like you've got multiple options. Well, I suppose that 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 would be a segue, wouldn't it? Eventually to uh, <laughs> what we're going to tackle next. Yeah. But I think I would generally prefer them. How tall is he out of insist? Well, you know what? I didn't. It, 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 I, I was going to finish on negative with him. He's. Um, in terms of height, he is six foot. Actually, a little bit more than I thought. Okay. Mm, why? No, I'm just wondering because it, it, I suppose it depends how dominant Everton want to become. But usually, the more dominant you become, the more opposing teams resort to hitting aerial balls, and you then have a greater reliance than before on the aerial prowess of your centre backs. Mm. Um, hence, why I don't know. I, pl- I play it in the mould of. Van Dijk is so valuable because he's he's so aerially uh, aerially dominant, mm. um, and teams don't usually get away with having shorts. I mean, he's not short at six foot, is he? No. One thing I will say is uh, his aerial dual success rate isn't great. 
is included. Of that same 66 player sample size, he ranks around 45th. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think Nathan Aggies is a similar one, isn't he? Yeah. Good player. You know, no real doubts about him overall, but just being suited to a dominant game where you're going to be tested early a lot. Yeah. Question mark there. But the only thing I would say is hopefully t- at 23, there's room for progression there. Yeah, uh, plus if, if Angelotti's willing to keep the, I suppose, the mid-block sort of thing that mm. he's got going on, then that suits Holgate's game maybe more than, than defending on the halfway line. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, you touched on it then about a, a potential segue we're talking about midfielders. Um, I'll probably let you take over here, but you wrote about Everton this week, didn't you? And you're, you... Um, but what, you know what, you're probably best going for me. You thought the theme was midfielders and good progressive midfielders as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I watched uh, I watched a bit of Everton recently, haven't I? And I know what Ancelotti's trying to do and things. And I tweeted about Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin. Just, I think they're a really encouraging duo there. I think that, you know, obviously both 22 years old, mm. both physically built to the extent that they can occupy defenders, but also... Quick enough to be threats in behind. Mm. They, they get up, they get about everywhere, mm. run the channels, all that stuff. So they're, they're real proper all rounders. Um, and I think since Ancelotti came in, he's been focused on a rather than a patient possession game. Mm. Uh, this was in the introduction on the piece, but I got edited. That <laughs> <as well. laughs> this is the perks of working with an editor. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, Everton rather than focusing on patient build-up play that's like slow and controlled and stuff like that. Everton have instead been a bit more vertical, a bit more direct, front to back quickly. Um, and that's... Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison have thrived from that. Mm. They've they've um, benefited from, you know, the obtain in energy, the obtain in speed, directness and stuff like that, boldness. Mm. Um, but I think for, for, for that to be executed better, basically... Uh, I think the pair would benefit from a central midfielder who's inclined to get on the ball and immediately look forwards and progress the play right into the feet. Mm. Um, and looking at Everton's team, I'm not particularly sure they've got that. Um, I showed Tom Davis's numbers in the piece. Not bad, especially considering he's 21, I suppose. He's worth keeping around, yeah. definitely. Uh, Andre Gomez looked good against Arsenal with that sort of thing as well. But I don't know, maybe Everton just wants... A, a player who's just naturally progressive. So I just combined two basic metrics. Um, passes to the final third, per 90, and progressive passes per 90. Obviously, the likes of Rodri, Kovacic, Ruben Neves showed up. Frankie De Jong was in there. Obviously, discount those because they're relatively unrealistic targets. But I, I just tried to identify players that maybe look a bit more appropriate and a bit... A bit attainable, really. Gwendouzi's a weird one, isn't he? Because he seems to struggle to play for that Arsenal side. Yeah, Gwendouzi was in there, yeah. But um, and I do think he's a he's a top talent. Yeah, but apparently same. he's uh, clashed with uh, clashed a little bit with Arteta oh, in terms okay. of his attitude or something. Uh, but a few of the players that showed up that had showed up well in terms of those numbers that I've just mentioned, and I would deem as you know signable that they would actually come through Everton sort of thing, and Everton could afford them and all that. Uh, I just picked out four. Um, so Mark Rocker, I think, hope that's how you say it, Mark mm-hmm. Rocker or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Espanol was probably he'd probably be my pick. Um, he's twenty three years old, six foot tall, so you know, 
capable in the Premier League in English football and that sort of thing. But he's playing for Espanyol, who are currently bottom of La Liga, joint bottom when I last checked. Uh, if they get reduced and even if they get reduced, if they get <laughs> relegated, but even if they don't get relegated, it's likely that he's going to be available for a, a cup price fee. I think. Yeah. Um, and out of all the players, very few post better numbers in terms of playing the ball forwards. Well, I'm just—it's just funny. And I wrote about him in the summer as a. Um, I think it might have been as a, the army replacement from Newcastle. Um, yeah, and I'm just wondering what um, what I said on on him there because. Yeah, so obviously this is based on last season, but it's just really adding to what you what you were saying. Uh, these are not up to date numbers, but he seems to be a really good passer of the ball, and I'm not just. Obviously, he's a very good progressive passive, as as you have highlighted. But um, and he seems to be okay in terms of reading the game as well. You know the stuff like duels and interceptions. He looked like an all good all rounder. And then obviously with what you've just said there as well, uh, in terms of progressing the ball up the pitch fast, he does seem quite appealing. Yeah, I mean you've had um, Ibrahim Sangare was also in there, uh, Baptiste Santa Maria. Was another player who was in there. Both of those play in the French league at the minute for Toulouse and Angers. Mm. And Ubakari Sumari mm. was another player in there. Um, he was supposedly linked with a £35 million move to Newcastle in January, mm. but apparently the player turned down the move. He's very good on the ball, very technical, while also being athletic and things like that. But his defensive numbers are, are bad. Mm. Um, which does I mean defensive numbers generally can be a bit misleading so you've got to be careful with that but 68 central midfielders have amassed over a thousand minutes in League One this season Sumare is 67th for defensive duels per 90 yeah, um, and when I checked the lad he's playing alongside Benjamin Andre I think is second so obviously a lot of the work's being left to Andre and Sumare is doing a lot of the progression which may work for them, but you don't really want a luxury sense of midfielder, do you? I mean, maybe you'd have to look into that one. Mm, yeah, but then the argument there could be because that's really, I think that's really, really good context you've just put on that. Is is that is that just is his data being impacted by a, ta- a tactical decision at the yeah, end of the possibly, team? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, and be. maybe if it's if he's if he's in a different side that that balances out a little bit. Um, yeah, but I think. Certainly Mark Rocker just looks a little bit too good for the current predicaments he's in with his current club. Yeah. So I would expect him to move in the summer. I'm not sure where How old's Rocker again? Twenty three. Yeah, that's a good age as well. Yeah, but I think as I said, crucially though, he's he's six foot, so mm. he's built enough to cope in, in English football, which mm. a lot of Spaniards aren't. Um it's it's not massively in depth, you know, I'm not I wasn't writing the piece for Everton. Yeah. Um it's just a it's a media publication, isn't it? So it's catered for a specific audience, but it's it's in depth enough. Another thing as well, one last point that I made during the on the piece, uh, Liverpool Echo, if you want to actually read it, is each of those midfielders I've just mentioned, once the summer arrives, will have two years remaining on their contracts. In the case of Sangare, his deal runs out in a year. Mm. So again, do you just fit the profile of being progressive while also being uh, attainable. Yeah, I'm um, not sure if we highlighted this, but with Sangari, Toulouse are bottom of the table as well. 
I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah so I didn't check that. Yeah, yeah. So that you know, it could be another one where it could be a, a cup price deal uh, if Everton did make make a move, which is interesting. Yeah, but it was just uh, considering how Everton have started to play under Ancelotti and considering the two strikers they've got. Just thought it'd be interesting to see see what progressive midfield types are actually out there, and you know, look, look at it in Europe's top five leagues. Who Everton, who would maybe show up to Everton's recruitment team? It'll be interesting to check back with that, you know, because I've found um, this sounds like blowing out on trumpet, but it, it really <laughs> isn't. It's more trying to fly the flag for utilizing data um, as, as a kind of feel now process for players, but. Um, a few when we've done similar episodes like this in the past and on other pods, a few plays that we've mentioned have, have kind of been then being linked with th- certain clubs. I think Jonathan David with Liverpool and Everton yeah, was yeah. a good one. Uh, he showed up really well on data and wasn't really getting talked about in the media. So we'll be interested to see in the summer if any of those names start getting um, yeah. mentioned or linked with moves to England. Yeah, um, I had f- I had a few of them last summer myself. Actually, I think yeah. I linked. Well, I got asked by Aston Villa. Um, to obviously suggest, well, almost predict players, I suppose, that once they receive promotion, they obviously needed to sign a number of players. So mm. one of the players that I actually rem- recommended that they sign was Ezzy Conce, and they ended up signing <laughs> I linked Everton with, you know, potentially looking at Malham, who mm. was at Barca. Obviously, yeah. it didn't go through, but I think I've seen strong links at one point. Yeah, they did, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, usually you can uh, see these things. Yeah, and so and we, you know, clubs do it a lot more of a granular level uh, than than we do, but it just shows, you know, it's it's such a vital tool for at least creating a short list. Yeah, and then obviously you do more in depth stuff on like looking at the personality and you know actually watching them play, etc. But yeah, interesting. We'll move we'll move on to Chelsea before we wrap up. Um, Chelsea on the back of a a big win last night against against Liverpool. Um, I've played. I thought it was well deserved. Don't let you talk about me. Yeah, but um, they, I thought they at least. I thought they played fairly well um, in that game. I know it was a little bit of a half and half in terms of uh, first team, second string. But but the thing is, at, at Liverpool, we've played them now three times this season, and we've still got to play them again at Anfield. Mm. So we're going to play them four times this season, but all three fixtures. I've been really tight, yeah, and they're, they're a good side, yeah, genuinely a good team. Well, that was I was just about to say they are a really, you know, good side. The um, fourth in the table right now, good chance against Champions League football. But if you if you're looking at um, XG, they rank in the top three. Uh, expected goals against it, I know they're in the top four, um, and expected points has them third above Leicester, which doesn't actually surprise me. I'm being honest. No, I remember saying earlier in the season, I can't remember if it was on this show or not, mm. but I, I, I've, I've, I've said all season that I think Chelsea are the third best team in the league. Mm. Um, but they've just got problems at both business ends mm. of the pitch. Yeah. Suffering from Kepe and suffering from, crucially, not Tammy Abraham, but having only Tammy yeah. Abraham to put the ball in the net. Yeah. Yeah, there's no, uh, there's no second source. They tried Giroud a little bit, haven't they, while like, Abraham's being injured. Abraham is injured, isn't he? I think he's injured. Yeah, him, yeah. Um, but that's kind of it's classic Giroud, isn't it? Where he he kind of comes up with the odd goal, but there's a reason why he doesn't get played every week. Do you know what? Just on that, this has just come from nowhere, but that frustrates me. You know, Giroud. People kind of constantly talk about him not playing, but there's a reason why he doesn't get played every week. 
Mm. If because he, he was that good, he would get played every single week when he doesn't. Um, anyway, rant's over. <laughs> um, so yet they obviously had a big win um, against Liverpool in the cup. Uh, but then, if you actually look at the Premier League form in general, it, it's been a little bit up and down. It's won, lost, drew, drew, lost, won, drew. Um, so that I wouldn't say the stuttering, but the a little bit hit and miss. Yeah, I just think a lot of them matches. Generally perform as the better team. It's just at the goalkeeping end, mm. they ship goals when they shouldn't. And going forward, um, outside of Abraham, they've got loads of like midfield players that are good, technical, nice, but they've got no, they haven't got many output players, mm, have they? No, that's true, yeah. Like, um, Abraham is seventh overall in the Premier League for goals scored. I think he's got 13. And then there's nobody, no other Chelsea player at all in the top 30. Um, and the next closest is, I think, Mason Mount with five goals. Um, and if you look at the the attackers that they've signed to play around the striker, Pulisic isn't really a goal man, never been a goal man really. No. Williams not really that. hudson is not really that. Um, I don't know, they've just got loads of players that are decent and they'll, they'll score every now and then. But they haven't got many proper output players like a Bruno yeah, Fernandez that we've mentioned. Yeah, your ter- the term is spot on there that you're using that output players. You've got yeah Abraham thirteen league goals, then top Pulisic and Mason Mount with five, um, and then you've got you know Marcus Al- Marcus Alonso's the joint third highest goal scorer <laughs> uh, at Chelsea this season. So there's goals across the board, but there's not enough from from players. Um, just quickly before we we touch on, you know, the goalkeeping situation there and and obviously Everton playing them. How has Lampard done for you? Just just very quickly in general because I didn't think he was going to be that great in the summer, and he's he seems to be doing quite well. He seems to you know press well, good combination playing possession, and there's a really good balance in terms of age in the squad as well. Yeah, no, I think he's doing really well. I think he's done a great job. Um, obviously no transfer window he was responsible for bringing through a few talents that mm. hadn't really played first team football for Chelsea Yeah, and I think he's done it really smoothly I mm. think players such as Tamori, Rhys James Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham are now all relatively established I think Yeah, um, and that's that's through his good work and as I said according to the performances of the team which is mostly what Lampard is responsible for it's it's good and better than better than the opposition most weeks. It's just the actual results which you become reliant on your goalkeeper and you become reliant on this, your striker's ability or your attacker's ability to finish. That's where the problems I think have stemmed from. But well, I don't we think Lampard could have done much more. No, should we touch on that then? The goalkeeping situation we've spoke about the forwards. Caballero, we assume, might be the goalkeeper, although Kepa played through the week and done fairly well. But we've mentioned Kepa, he's got the worst save percentage in the Premier League. Um, but Caballero is is a backup keeper who's currently playing as a number one because he's he's not a great keeper, is he, really? Um, so far this season, he's got an uh, expected goal against combined total of around 10.6. Yeah, he's conceded 14 goals. Um, he doesn't tell, tend to pull you out of situations. He can be beaten quite easily. I, if I was Everton, I'd be saying let's test him this weekend. 
Yeah, and I mean, he's probably just a bit of a stopgap, really, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, considering how well Kepa played against Liverpool during the week, maybe it's time to throw him back in. Maybe that's what Lampard's planning on doing, but... Yeah, I think Caballero's just a, a general middle-of-the-road goalkeeper who's decent at saving penalties. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he is that, yeah. yeah. Uh, Everton did beat, um, beat Chelsea earlier this season and Ferguson was in the dugout, and he might be again because Ancelotti, of course, got sent off at the end of the United game. Uh, in that game, Everton played really basic. You know, It was a, a back-to-basics 4-4-2. Lots of tackles. I think they broke a record, or a 10-year record, of something like 34 tackles in one game, or 37. It was madness. But there was loads of hard work. I think this time, though, it's, it's you're going to have to see a little bit more um, tactical now, and better play in possession. You know, they haven't won there since 1994. It's not a good ground, and you're just going to have to see a little bit more of what we've seen under Ancelotti to try and get anything out of this one. Yeah. One other little thing that I noticed as well is that Chelsea can see generally quite a lot from set pieces. I was looking at that before. Yeah. And from throw-ins and things like yeah. that. So if that's something that Everton are working on at the minute, which you know we've picked up on that they might be, yeah, um, that will be interesting because uh, I think you'll probably see it at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we'll we'll wait and see, but we'll wrap it up there. Um, verdict, Josh. Tough one, that. Uh, Don't forget, you can be honest on it because uh, no, I know, yeah. But the way the way Chelsea have been conceding, mm. I think Everton have the the players to exploit that. Mm. So it's a, it's a difficult one. I think I'm going to go two all. So am I actually? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think uh, Everton are a lot tougher to to beat now. You know, you only two defeats came at City and Arsenal. Um, Who's going to get the two goals for Chelsea? I couldn't tell you though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, there'll be uh, probably Alonso last bit. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I'm gonna go two two as well. Be great if they could nick it, but um, yeah, Chelsea had a decent side, tough place to go. Uh, I'm gonna go two two, but we'll uh, we'll find out this weekend and we'll revisit it next week, um, which I think the show will be out Thursday. But we'll wait and see. But in the meantime, I'll thank Josh. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, mate. Uh, thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of your week. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.